the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Brewers podcast coming at you on a Monday morning when uh, news is not good for the Milwaukee Brewers. They are floundering. They are they are recently they recently finished a stretch uh, in which they played 26 games against teams that have a losing record. Several of those teams were last place teams. They went nine and 17 in that stretch. Back from the All Star break, they lose two of three against the Giants at Miller Park. And uh, it's been a tough go, particularly for the bullpen. They have a 9 ERA in the month of July. They gave up uh, another another six runs on Sunday in a tough loss. That was a close game going into the late innings before things went south on Corbin Burns and Matt Albers. And the Brewers are now just two games above 500. It has been a struggle. My name is J.R. Radcliffe, host of the Milwaukee Brewers Journal Sentinel podcast. We are going to try to figure out what in the world is going on with these Brewers. Joined by Tom Hodricourt, Brewers beat reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He uh, he was going to try to to break it down for us a little bit. What uh, what exactly is the fundamental cause of Milwaukee's struggles throughout uh, throughout most of June and into July, and and how that might inform what's going to happen at the end of the month with the deadline, the trade deadline, uh, really just two weeks away? And are the the Brewers are the Brewers are almost certainly still buyers uh, because the standings say they should be buyers. The standings are the uh, the silver lining to all of this is that they are just not far out of the playoff race. In fact, only a half game out of the wild card game at this point. Which uh, which is pretty staggering when you consider how much they've struggled lately. Only two and a half games behind the Cubs. That is, I know that seems like a much bigger number than you'd want it to be, but that's not that's not the end of the world by any means. They overcame that much in 2008 in one week over the final week of the season, uh, and so it's possible that uh, that they are right back into this thing within three to four days. But uh, of course, it doesn't feel that way. The Brewers struggling to string anything together. Starters are okay, but uh, not going deep into games. Relievers not holding leads, or really, uh, really right now they're allowing a run an inning. So, or uh, yeah, run an inning. So it has been a struggle. The offense has not been able to overcome that. A lot of guys still struggling, and uh, runners in scoring position, a, a hot button item every year. But uh, right now, that is a problem facing the Milwaukee Brewers, and why a team that uh, is one of the top three home run hitting teams in baseball simply cannot be one of the top. Uh, you know, top 10 offenses in baseball. They haven't, they have not been. So uh, we will chat with Tom Hodricourt. We'll talk about Corbin Burns, Jesus Aguilar, who on the other side of things is doing quite well for himself as of late. Tyler Saladino, who has really struggled since his arrival as a, sort of the co-starter at shortstop. Uh, again, we'll talk trade deadline and a look back at the All-Star game a little bit. After that, I have an interview with Mauricio Dubon. He is no longer with the Brewers, actually, back at AAA San Antonio, but uh, did get to spend a couple days in the big leagues straddling the uh, bookending, I should say, the the All-Star game. So he came up for one game. There was an injury uh, situation, or at least the, the fear of an injury situation, when Orlando Arcia ran into Keston Hira. It wasn't clear if Arcia would be able to play. Uh, in fact, it was kind of shocking after they had to be helped off the field that he was able to uh, to get back to quick health. Uh, he's been playing uh, out of the All-Star break, but uh, they needed somebody that they could be sure would be available off the bench as a backup middle infielder. They called up Dubon. He uh, got an at-bat in that first game, became the first uh, Honduras-born and raised player to appear in the big leagues. And uh, I caught up with him uh, the first game out of the All-Star break uh, when he uh, he also got another at-bat. He struck out, but uh, but has gotten a, now big league, a little bit of big league experience and uh, will probably be ticketed for a lot more. Uh, he, uh, he again, now back at AAA San Antonio, but I did enjoy the chance to chat with him before uh, before he took the plane, plane ride back south. So uh, here he is now, Tom Hodricourt, Brewers beat reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, covering your Milwaukee Brewers. You can find everything he writes at jsonline.com. 
Tom, I need you to talk me off the edge here a little bit. Maybe maybe you won't do it. I don't know, but the Brewers relievers have a 9 ERA in the month of July. They've struggled against teams that are all below 500. They've just finished a stretch of 9 and going 9 and 17 in the last 26 games all against teams that are below 500, many in last place. They're just two games above 500, Tom. I I know that everybody's kind of in panic mode right now. I'm feeling a little bit like I'm in panic mode. Is there anything that that the Brewers can hang their hat on right now, or any glimmer of optimism for what's you know what's to come? Well, there's always a glimmer of optimism, but um, the Brewers, um, the thing the thing that you just said, um, not so much the record, but against who it, who it was against, or who it has been against. That that's the big red flag. Um, if you remember at the start of the season, Jr., we talked about how the first 40 or 50 games were against all these tough teams and, you know, what a brutal schedule. And if the Brewers can just get through that and in decent shape, then maybe they'll be okay. Well, they did. They, they slogged through those tough five or six weeks. They got the 10 above 500. They got to the so-called soft part of their schedule and they've just played bad ever since. And it, so now they've bookended their struggles with series against San Francisco. Their slide started with a series in San Francisco, losing two out of three. And now they come out of the break losing two out of three at home to San Francisco. You know, th- this is not the Yankees. This is not the Astros. This is not the Dodgers now that they've lost home and away series two. This is the Giants. They're having a bad year, and they're probably going to start selling off players really soon. So, um, you know, now the schedule gets tougher. Now you got the Braves, the Cubs, the really, you know, first place teams coming up after playing all these last place teams. So, as if the record itself is not alarming enough in the last three weeks, who they did it against really is because. They have played very poorly against teams that are not very good. At whose feet do you lay this? Because the starting pitching has been okay lately through this stretch as, as uh, probably the best unit, uh, you know, when you look at the offense, defense, relief pitching, starting pitching, uh, even though they haven't exactly been dominating. And it seems like starting pitching is always sort of the number one thing you want to get right. And it seems possible that the Brewers starters could, you know, could get a little bit better and turn a corner here, but the relief pitching just completely fell off the map in July after getting kind of progressively better as the season was going along. The offense has been terrible with runners in scoring position. That comes and goes, but right now it definitely is an issue for them. And then the defense, you know, we saw uncharacteristic error by, by Lorenzo Cain that played that paid big dividends on uh, Saturday night. We've seen, you know, Orlando RC, we've talked about him not being quite as sharp as in years past. The defense just hasn't turned, you know, balls and in play into outs the way they did last year. Where do you really see the biggest the biggest problem that the Brewers have right now? Well, well the offense definitely has not met expectations, so we can circle back to that. But let's examine why the bullpen is all of a sudden imploding. Let's look at the way the Brewers run their pitching staff. They did it last year, and they had a great bullpen, and they got away with it. And and what they got away with was the analytics that say you cannot allow your pitcher to go a third time through the batting order. So they regularly last year pulled starters, whether they were going good or bad, after five innings, but they had a kick-butt bullpen led by Josh Hader, Corey Knable, and Jeremy Jeffress. And let's not forget how good Woodruff and Burns were out of the bullpen in the second half. 
And so they were able to do it. So now they're still trying to operate the pitching staff that same way, pulling starters after five innings, whether they're going good or bad, and going to the bullpen and still trying to get them to cover four innings every night. But this isn't the same bullpen. There's no Corey Knable. Jeremy Jeffers started behind the eight ball on the injured list and hasn't been the same. Corbin Burns is not the same pitcher. Brandon Woodruff is now a very good starter, so at least that's the good news. Um, this is not the same bullpen. Um, the talent level isn't nearly as high. And so, duh, this formula is not working because you're asking a much um, under a much depleted bullpen from a year ago to do the same job that bullpen did. And it's just not going to work. Um, these guys are not up to covering four innings every night. They got one guy uh, that they can depend on uh, regularly, Josh Hader. And let's talk about why they lost this opening series uh, to the Giants. Well, one of the reasons why, anyway, they cannot afford to lose games that Josh Hader pitches in. And here's why, JR. It's double jeopardy for them to lose those games. And here's why. The first jeopardy is they lost the game. The second jeopardy is Josh Hader now not available for the rest of the series. So they must win every time Josh Hader pitches. And you know what? They pretty much have. They're 28 and 5, I think, in games that he pitches. So it has worked most of the time. But when it doesn't work, as it did not Friday night, when he gave up a couple of home runs, they tied the game and then lost in extra innings. Then they're in trouble because he's shot for the series now. They lost the game. They're probably going to lose more games out of the bullpen, which they did. You know, it was a miracle they won Saturday night after giving up a two-run lead in the um, ninth inning. You know, Ben Gamble saved them with a walk-off. But uh, it was right back to the same old stuff on Sunday with the bullpen just not up to the test. So if, the, if, if they're going to keep trying to use the same formula they did last year of the starters coming out after five and trying to cover games, four, four innings and like that bullpen, this is what's going to continue to happen. And they either have to come to terms with it or they're going to just keep losing because – you get, they're going to have to start letting their starters go longer until they get their bullpen squared away, or this is going to continue to happen. You know, you can get away with it for a while, JR, but now we're in, we're at like the hundred coming up on a hundred games now, and you cannot cheat the schedule. And these guys are being used too much. Alex Claudio's pitched what 52 or three times, you know, um, he's, he might go after Mike Marshall's record here. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, it's just, you know, you, you, you can keep trying to do it this way, but if, you, if your bullpen's not up to the test, this is what's going to happen. And it's going to be tough because, man, does it irk your fans when you blow games late. You know, I, I've, for years I've used the example of going to a three-hour movie and then the ending stinks, and you said, why did I sit here for three hours for this stinky ending? Well, that's the way fans feel about baseball games, too. They had sellout crowds all three nights. Uh, well, the Sunday was a day game, all three games against the Giants. And there were a lot of boos being heard from the stands from those bullpen guys. 
Yeah, the Brewers have won just two of their last nine games. And in those two wins, they blew a five-run lead in the ninth against the Pirates and then managed to win that game in extras. And then they blew a two-run lead on Saturday night against San Francisco, won on a uh, on a walk-off double by Ben Gamma. Like you said, that was... Uh, that was it. Felt a little bit miraculous that they were able to pull at least one out at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, basically the Brewers and Cubs were tied at the break. The Brewers were like a half game behind them. And look at the way the Cubs came out of the break, and look at the way the Brewers came out of the break. And who do you like right now between those two teams at this particular point in time? I mean, the Cubs came out just breathing fire and smoked the Pirates three straight games. They did win today, right? They did yeah, win. yeah, they are they are three and zero after the break on a team the Pirates that were playing well. So that's yeah. Tough. So what they what that series did is that the Cubs declared declared themselves as contenders, and the Pirates were exposed as pretenders. Yeah, we'll talk too about the deadline uh, and and what what this recent stretch means for the Brewers coming up here in a second. But uh, one of those relief pitchers that you touched on briefly, Corbin Burns, it just is not working out. He gave up a big home run on Friday night. He came back in a high leverage situation on Sunday, did not have it. Uh, gave up, I believe, four runs charged to him. I know Matt Albers was on the mound for a couple of those guys scoring, but. Craig Council said pretty much after the game, he didn't say that Corbin Burns is going back to San Antonio, but it's pretty strongly implied that they have no choice here with him. And and I don't think they have a choice. He's just, I saw a stat and I think this is right that on two strike counts, if the batter puts the ball in play, they're batting 500. In other words, if he, on a two strike pitch, they're squaring him up. They're hitting him really hard. And it seems like location on those two strike pitches are a big deal. What what can be said about him? What, what is there any like any sliver of optimism here that that they can salvage this? It's just crazy what's happened to him. Well, first of all, I heard somebody jinxed him on Twitter by predicting he would have a big second half. You know, I have no uh, idea what you're talking about. Yeah, you, you don't have any idea who might have done that. <laughs> I uh, put my foot in my mouth awfully fast after I thought uh, I thought here I'll throw out some some bold positive prediction. He's going to own the second half, and like five minutes later, he'd given up a couple runs. It was yeah, how did that bad. shoe leather, how did that shoe leather taste, Jr.? Uh, it's not not the best uh, not the best feeling. You know, on Twitter, when you make a proclamation like that, you're going to get burned, and rightfully. So it's totally yeah. fair, but you can even say, "Oh wow, I really screwed that one up," and you still get torn no, apart. Yeah. People don't you, see you, the follow up. Yeah, and you know, I'm just kidding you. So <laughs> of course, yes. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no such thing as jinxing players; they right. jinx themselves. I'll wear it. I'll wear it. Well, back back to your um, you know, original um, comments about him. This guy's getting killed on two strike pitches. It's just nuts. You know, silly me. I used to think the pitcher was in control on a no two count. You know what? I mean, you've got three more pitches, four more pitches that you can mess around with. Once you're ahead 0-2, you should not be getting burned as often as he is. He's making all kinds of location mistakes. Um, You you, uh, said that Council pretty much intimated that he he might be going down. He's got to go down. He cannot pitch another game for the Brewers. And right now, he needs to go back down. Uh, but I don't know what they're going to do with him. Are they going to go down and, and put him as a starting role and try to go back to their original intent of trying to develop him as a starting pitcher? They've had not a lot of success developing starting pitchers in their system, and it sure would be nice to start doing so. Uh, Woodruff looks like he might be a keeper in that regard. But are they going to do that with Burns or just go back and try to get him squared away in relief and bring him back? I don't know. 
but you cannot send him back out there in the major leagues. You know, his, his confidence level has to be near the, the needle's got to be on E right now. Right. I mean, he's just, just continues to, to give up big hits on two strike pitches. It's very confounding. His stuff's great to two strikes. And then he starts making location mistakes. So you figure it out. I can't figure it out. They can't figure it out. He can't figure it out, but it has to stop. You cannot continue to do that. You hate singling out anybody, though, in the bullpen because, you know, they're all scuffling right now. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, he's going to be an interesting guy to watch. You know, he pitched great for him out of the bullpen last year, one of the reasons why they went to within a game of the World Series. But it's just been, uh, it's just been a mess this year. It didn't work in the rotation, hasn't worked in the bullpen. He's going to have to go down to AAA and try to figure this out. I wonder if the team regrets, regret may be the wrong word, but if, if they would do it all over again with Adrian Hauser, moving him to the rotation. And, and when you've got a guy who's capable of starting, it makes some short-term and long-term sense to have that guy working in that role. But Adrian Hauser hasn't, hasn't sparkled as a starter, and he was really in a groove as a relief pitcher. And once they moved him out of that role into the starting rotation, that seems to be corresponding or correlating with, with what's happened to this bullpen just falling apart on itself and guys like uh, Matt Albers and Corbin Burns can't get through these bridge innings, you know, the sixth inning, the seventh inning. And they don't have a lot of guys who, who they can turn to at AAA either, you know? I mean, Jake uh, Jackson is okay, but... Yeah. I, no, it hasn't worked. It, Adrian Hauser is the only guy who's come up from AAA and done anything. Everybody else has come up, gone back down, come up, gone back down. Some of them only lasting one or two outings. They're... they're the pitching depth they thought they had there has not been borne out at all. Uh, they, they just keep grasping at straws and calling up different guys, and it hasn't worked. Um, you can't blame all of this on Corey Knievel hurting his elbow and Bobby Wall hurting his knee. That doesn't explain just the total lack of production they've got when they've come. And it's not really, really, J.R., uh, it, it's not just pitching. Other than Hauser on the mound and Keston Hira as with the bat, who's come up from AAA and done anything this year? You know, they have not been able they, – they talk a lot about having depth and 40-man roster and so on and so forth, but those guys have not come up and helped the team this year, and I think that's been part of the struggles. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what they're able to do about that, if anything. You know, we're, we're, you mentioned the trading deadline – you know, we're within three weeks now of July 31st. If they're going to do something, they better not wait till the 31st because it might be too late. But right now, I wonder if they're struggling with the thought that maybe it's, you know, one or two guys can't make a big enough difference to make any trades. So it's going to be very fascinating to see what, if anything, they do between now and the 31st. Yeah, expanding on the deadline a little bit, I, I, the the biggest reason for optimism, and we haven't said it just point blank, but it's the standings. They're a half game out of a wild card spot and, it, and two and a half games out of first place in the NL Central. They're in this race and they're not going to be sellers. Mainly, I mean, I mean par, sidebar to that, I don't know if there really are guys that you would sell other than maybe Grandal, and, and I, I just don't think the Brewers are going to do that. I, I, I think they're probably going to try to see if they can work out a long-term deal once the season nears its end. But that aside... I just, I don't know if, if there's going to come a point where they decide, okay, we'll we'll buy, we'll try to get a relief pitcher, but we're not going to move one of our top prospects because we don't really think 
we're for sure we for sure have the pieces to make a deep run to the playoffs and a deep run thereafter. I don't know if it informs it at all. Maybe they still would be willing to part with a Bryce Terang or or one of the other guys at the top of their pipeline to try and get a, a solid relief pitcher or two or or even a rental starter. Do you think this stretch has changed the way they look at it, or or do you think they're still going to be boring ahead, expecting to buy and try to improve their standing? It might change the way they look at it because management takes their cues from the way their team performs uh, as to the moves they make. And and here's Exhibit A. After 2017, when that team, when the Brewers took a big leap forward that was not expected at the time, just in the second year of their rebuild, when they took that big leap forward and only missed the wildcard by one game, they said, hey, these guys, we've got a better group than we thought we might have at this stage. They look like they're ready to contend. Let's go Let's go for some big moves here. Then on January 25th, 2018, they go and get Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich, and off to the races they go. So how the team performs does inform management as to what they should do. Well, what do you think management's thinking tonight about the team? You know, are they thinking, hey, let's go get one or two guys and, and we're just going to get going? They're probably wondering what, if anything, is going to make a difference with this team. And you saw my column in, in the Journal Sentinel today. David Stearns rightly said, you know, all trade talks aside, we need to get better from within, you know, and guys that we have on campus need to play better. And so he didn't make, he didn't mince any words about that. <laughs> he said, we need to get better internally first and worry about external moves later. So let, let's see, you know, it's going to get infinitely harder now. This team coming to town now, the Atlanta Braves, they're going to make the Giants look like, you know, the the you know the JV team. You know, this is a really good team. It's on a big roll. They just swept San Diego in San Diego. The Brewers, by the way, lost all three games they played in San Diego during this slide. This is a young, exciting team that's starting to bury people in the NL East. And so... You know, if, if the Brewers are going to keep playing like they've been playing, this is not. This is going to get ugly real fast because this Atlanta team is coming in breathing fire. And here's the other side to the trade deadline questions around the Brewers. I, I mean, I, we say Bryce Terang a lot when we're t- he's, he's the top prospect left in the in the minor leagues, but he's still a guy who just got promoted to Advanced Class A Carolina. You know, he's not he's not a major league ready guy now. He's more of a he's more of a high ceiling type guy. And I don't know if the Brewers, you look at their minor leagues, if there really are other guys that you can say for sure that's somebody that other teams are going to really want in a trade. They don't have those guys. They can package a couple guys together. But I, I don't think there's anybody on the major league roster that's really, you know, both tradable, a trade chip, and also somebody that the Brewers can live without. And then I don't I don't know what kind of capital they have to outbid Every other team in the National League, which thinks it's going to be in this race, because right now, with some, with like two or three exceptions, they are all in the race. So I'm really, I'm really wondering if the Brewers are even going to have the firepower to do anything when the trade deadline rolls around. Well, they have some nice players in their farm system, but some of them have been hurt this year. Some of their top guys, like Corey Ray and Tyrone Taylor, two outfielders, have had really truncated seasons because of injuries. So that hasn't helped. You know, Keston Harris is their number one prospect. He's going to be their second baseman for years to come. They're not going to trade him. 
But they do have some depth at shortstop. They have Arcia, a young player in the major leagues, Dubon, who just came up briefly and is their shortstop in AAA, and then Bryce Terang, who you just mentioned, their first-round draft pick from last year. He's you know he's a few years away from the big leagues at least. But you know you do trade from positions of depth, and so um, shortstop's definitely a position where they have depth. And so we'll see what they do. But um. Yeah, I just we get back to what we talked about a few minutes ago about you know what do you think is available out there that you would want to give up prospects for that you think is going to make that big of a difference on the team right now? Like if they traded for one really good reliever right now, how much better is their bullpen going to be? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it might give them some flexibility with Josh Hader, and and much like the offense is built around Christian Yelich, the bullpen is built around Josh Hader, so that might free them up to do something, but like I, like I said on Twitter uh, Sunday, I don't know if there have been many games where where they weren't able to use a rested Josh Hader where you felt like, wow, they should really use him, but they're saving him for later. I don't think the Brewers do that. They bring him in for the maximum amount of outs they feel like he can get, so and, I don't know. And, and because he is by far their best reliever, you know, Council has filled, felt compelled to try to get two innings out of him. Sometimes he doesn't trust somebody to set him up in the eighth inning. So he tries to get six outs out of him. And then if it doesn't work out, then you're cooked for the rest of the series. So, you know, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you don't bring him in and then you give up the lead in the eighth inning before you can get him out there, then it didn't work. That didn't work. But if you use him for two innings, whether it works or doesn't work, he's done for the rest of the series. So... It's, it's just not a good way to do business right now. You cannot have a one-man bullpen just like you can't have a one-man rotation and you can't have a one-man offense. And then sometimes they take a big lead and they're able to pull them after the eighth and they give it all back against the Pirates in the ninth inning. So they are really... Yeah, that, that was um, calamitous, wasn't it? <laughs> it I mean, was, that was calamitous. Yeah, the last two wins the Brewers have had have been much more heartache or heartburn-inducing than actual, uh, you know, respites. Or they've only won; they haven't won any games in this nine and seventeen stretch by more than two runs, which is staggering to me. They just haven't; they just haven't beaten anybody convincingly. It's crazy. Well, well and and that's that's a good point because I think they uh, they realized their um, pitching staff wasn't going to be as good this year, and certainly not their bullpen without Corey Knable. Um But I think they thought their offense would just outslug a lot of people, and they would just beat a lot of people 9-6, to six, you know, or 11-5. to five. I really think they talked a lot about elite offense in spring training, and that's why they spent their remaining funds on Mike Moustakas and Yasmani Grandal and not pitching. Because they would just said, we're going to go for the offense. Well, they didn't know Travis Shaw was going to forget how to hit. They didn't know Jesus Aguilar was going to forget how to hit home runs. They didn't know Lorenzo Cain's OBP was going to go down 90 points. They didn't know that Ryan Braun would be up and down. You know, for a long time, it was Yelich, Grandal, and Moustakas, or bust. And uh, you got to have more than three guys. You know, RC has been up and down, and then they didn't like his defense, so they called up Saldina, who's about one for thirty-five. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so but but I think that you know, so that that's why we we spent a lot of time talking about their bullpen and 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 their pitching in general, but their offense has let them down tremendously. You know, they have been a home run or bust team for a long time, but they have never been more so than they are this year. They, they are last in the league and hitting with runners in scoring position. 
You know, they've left small villages on base all year. Um, they get guys on, they just don't get them in. Um, unless they hit home runs, they have a hard time winning. And so the offense has not been the sluggo offense that they thought would just over overcome some of their pitching problems. So it's it's not like it's all about the pitching, although I will say really good pitching can overcome offensive deficiencies because the guys that listen to me on the radio a lot and my former beat partner, Drew Olson, will tell you my favorite saying in baseball about how to get out of a, a team slump is to go out and kick the crap out of somebody one to nothing. <laughs> and my point, my point being when the other team has zero, you win every time. This is not soccer. You win every time when the other team has zero. And so, you know, pitching can overcome some offensive deficiencies. And a lot of time it's the pitching that leads you out of a skid, but look at the starting pitching the Brewers had in the Giants series. Um, what Chastain gave up one run today, right? Uh, Davies gave up one run. Uh, Chase Anderson gave up two runs. Look at the starting pitching ERA in that series, and they still were lucky as heck to win one game. Yeah. You uh, just itemized a bunch of pro- guys who have struggled on offense, so uh, there are many bigger fish to fry than Tyler Saladino, but you're joking when you say it was like one for 35. He's legitimately three for 34, and they're all singles. And his right. defense is fine. When it was when he was brought up, it was sort of seen as maybe a message sent to Orlando Arcia that he wasn't doing enough on defense, right. even though his offense has been okay. And defensively, Arcia has been okay in the, in the interim since. I, I don't... I, I don't, again, I don't want to pick on one guy, but like, I don't understand why, why the team has Tyler Saladino on the roster. They could, they could have Mauricio Dubon here to, you know, maybe, maybe they don't know what they have with him yet. And work, well, I'll tell you why they have Saladino on the roster instead of Dubon because of the health scares from Kane and Braun in the outfield. You know, they only have one extra outfielder, Ben Gamble. They've only carried four out. You know, if you're that's the other conundrum about their bullpen. They're carrying eight relievers. You know, wouldn't you think if you're carrying eight relievers, more than one of them would be getting the job done in the bullpen? But they're carrying eight relievers, which has left them with a four-man bench. And the four-man bench has been the backup catcher who you have to be careful about how you use because you don't want to get caught without a catcher. Gamble, the fourth outfielder, um, either Thames or Aguilar, the backup first baseman, whoever's not playing that starting that night, and then the utility infielder, which was Hernan Perez for a while and now has been Tyler Saladino. But that utility infielder has also been the fifth outfielder. And now, you know, it's been revealed that Braun has a nagging knee problem, which is probably going to bug him the rest of the year. And we all know that Lorenzo Cain you know, had an injection in his thumb. They're also both in their 30s and need time off. So that's why a guy like Saladino and before him Perez is on the team because the guy also has to serve as the fifth outfielder. So if you're going to carry eight relief pitchers and play with a four-man bench, you got to have some defensive versatility. And if the guy's not hitting, well, then too bad because you cannot get caught short of outfielders or infielders if a game goes into extra innings. So that, that, that creates a roster issue too. And the eight relievers goes back to the way they use the rotation where they only let a guy go five innings and then take him out because they got analytics that say we shouldn't let him do it no matter 
how great the guy's pitching. I mean, they almost, it's almost like they don't trust their own eyes because a guy will be pitching great, and you see he's pitching great, but the manual tells you to get him out of there, and so they follow the manual. Well, that's okay if the bullpen's pitching good behind him. Well, I know Eric Thames did not uh, did not look like an outfielder when they put him out there in years past, but he he technically qualifies as a fifth outfielder, and uh, with with Jesus Aguilar swinging a hot bat, maybe that's how you get uh, make, make a roster move. Because man, three of thirty four is just really tough. But uh, but here, here's a silver lining in the, the way that. Jesus Aguilar at first base has played. He seems to have found something. He had three home runs in that Pirates series right before the All-Star game. He kept hitting in this Giants series. Uh, at one point, he was 10 of 16 with five extra base hits. He had a big double on Saturday night. Is he all the way back? I asked the same question to Matt Albers, and then maybe I was wrong, like all the way back back to where he was. But it seems like Jesus Aguilar is, is finally feeling something at the plate. Well, this is why you don't throw guys in the garbage dump. Uh, when they're struggling, no matter how long they're struggling, if they've done stuff in the past and you think they can do it again in the future. And I think we're going to see Travis Shaw again at some point this year as well. He's starting to swing the bat in triple A. Yeah. You know, and so people say, well, what about the games we lost while we stuck with them? Okay, I get it. They didn't help you, you know, for a long time. But that doesn't mean you give up on them. You hang in there. And this is why. You know, this is why, because the guy might come back around. And I don't know how close they were to giving up on Aguilar. You know, they made it to the break, and he had started to swing the bat better. So they did not make him have to make a tough decision at the break. You know, he's out of options. So they, they're going to lose. If they DFA him, he sure as heck is going to get claimed. And so, um, you know, this is why you hang with these guys. And was it painful for a long time? Yes. Did you maybe lose some games because he wasn't hitting? Yes, you did. But you can't go back and do that over again. But you can now, you know, put him back out there with Thames. They're actually getting really good production out of first base now in that platoon. Thames' is, uh, OPS is like 860. Aguilar's batting in the high threes um, for the last three weeks and starting to drive in runs and hit some homers again. So there is that bit of good news, you know, and Moustakis has been playing third, which covered for Shaw's absence, and uh, here is at second, which is, you know, the public demanded that. So um, so that, you know, they, they've got the guys out there now that they think are going to help them. And uh, Craig Council said um, this weekend that he thinks two of his key players moving forward are Lorenzo Cain and Jesus Aguilar. And what he was intimating was they didn't do very well in the first half, but if they do well in the second half, as they have in previous years, then we're going to have something we didn't have before. So I thought I, it didn't surprise me that he mentioned those two guys because the three guys throughout the first half that were way underperforming uh, past seasons were Shaw, Aguilar, and Cain. Yeah, those guys, uh, Aguilar and Kane, were all stars last year. Not uh, not in the conversation this year, but the Brewers did still send five guys to the Midsummer Classic on Tuesday. It was kind of a miserable showing for them, unfortunately. Uh, Mike Moustakis made a big out. Yasmani Grandal made the last out of the game, even though he did score a run, walked and scored a run. Brandon Woodruff checked in and uh, and managed to get a double play, even though he, he did surrender a run in a one-run game. But uh, it is still cool that five Brewers managed to get the call. And, and I don't really, you know, Woodruff was the only borderline guy. Like, all those guys are among the best at their position in the National League and deserved to get there. Any, uh, did you have any thoughts watching the game or any observations uh you know any any anything to hang your hat on when uh, when the brewers sure didn't show a whole lot at the all-star game 
Yeah, I don't worry about what they did in the All-Star game and performance in a couple of at-bats or a, you know two-thirds of an inning or a pitch or whatever. I don't, I don't worry about uh, whether they had big games or not. I'm sure they wanted to. Uh, it is interesting that the America League just wins every year now, no matter what. Because um, when uh, I was a kid, the National League won just about every year, too. So that that's turned around. <laughs> but the, the thing that sticks out for me about the five All-Stars is if you got five all stars, why is your team struggling so bad? Right. That that shows you how poorly. So that's twenty percent of your team, right? Five of twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Do I have my math correct? Yes, twenty percent, one fifth. You got it. Yeah. So twenty percent of your team are among the elite of the elite players. So what is the other eighty percent doing for you to go? What nine and seventeen? Did we say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're not doing much, are they? You know, you have five all stars. You know, I told somebody the other day I can brag because my UVA team won the national championship after getting eliminated by the number 16 UMBC. I can barely even say those initials <laughs> of the year before. I, I bragged to somebody. I said, well, Duke had three of the first 10 draft picks. How come they didn't win the national championship? That is a good point. They didn't even go to the final four. I said, why isn't Coach K on double secret probation? <laughs> you know, so uh, he had three of the best top 10 players and they didn't win it. <laughs> of course, Virginia had three draft picks too. But, but <laughs> my, my point is, if you got that many all-stars, you rightfully should expect to be doing okay as a team, right? Yeah, I mean, I look at it as your MVP from last year has gotten better. The uh, two offseason, major offseason acquisitions have both worked out in spades. You've managed to create two starting pitchers, I would say, Woodruff and Zach Davies, guys who were not key members of the rotation last year in the stretch, going down, you know, going down the home stretch into the playoffs, who have emerged as bona fide starting pitchers that you can rely on every five days. Your great closer or great reliever is still a great reliever. Right. How in the world is that team just two games above 500? How is that possible? It's incredible. Because all of the other guys are not holding up their end of the bargain, JR. That's your answer. You know, yeah. it's hiding in plain sight. You know, it's uh, you got all the rest. And Craig Council said at the uh, end of the first half when they staggered into the break, um, we need more contributions throughout our roster. And he was, in fact, that that translated was we have five all-stars and the rest of the guys need to get their acting gear. That's exactly <laughs> what he was saying. You know, we need these other guys to contribute. So these are their guys. You know, council's favorite saying is your record is your record and that's who you are. Well, right now, who they are is two over 500 and going in the wrong direction. So are they going to dig a foothold here? And, and get going in the right direction, or is this going to continue and it's going to be a long second half? To be determined on that, but they're not trending well right now. You know, the good thing about baseball is it can turn on a dime. Uh, look at the Washington Nationals. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the anti-brewers. They started so bad that people gave up on them, and now they're kicking so much butt that people say, hey, they might go to the World Series. Yes. You know? So, uh you, baseball you, teams can turn on a dime, and the Brewers better find that 10-cent piece soon and turn on it. Last uh, last thought I'll leave you with here. Tuesday is Bark at the Park Night at Miller Park. Can I expect the uh, the two Hardcore Dachshunds to be uh, to be in, a, in attendance at Miller Park for the game against the Atlanta Braves? That would be great to have them in the press box, but I, I my attention would be diverted more than it usually is. I'll just put, you know, I know I was leaving myself open for criticism there, but it would be, but at least I would have a good reason. I'd have a heck of a time, that's for sure, but probably uh, 
would not. Uh, I I haven't taught them how to use my keyboard yet. So, <laughs> so there's still time. Went out. You know, that's a bucket list in retirement is to come back out to the ballpark and with my doggies. That's the coolest thing. It's so cool that you can bring your dogs to the ballpark, right? I mean, it's uh everybody does it now, and it's just the coolest thing. Why not? You know, I just it's just. It's just a fun thing. Yeah. He is Tom Hodricourt, Brewers beat reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Find everything he has at jsonline.com. Hopefully he'll be writing something better news than what we've uh, what we've seen uh, over the past, uh, just about the past month of Brewers baseball. Tom, maybe it turns on a dime starting uh, starting this week. I guess uh, I guess you never know. You, know. you never know. That's why we keep coming out there. That's why they keep playing the games. Indeed. We will chat with you again soon. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, JR. Thanks to Tom for joining me. Now we move to my interview with Mauricio Dubon. Again, he is not with the Brewers at the moment, back in AAA San Antonio, but uh, he uh, he did get his first big league experience, his first big league at bat. Uh, so asked him obviously about the, uh, the 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 you know getting the call finally. He was a guy that looked like was ticketed for the big leagues last year, early last season. You know, it was sort of sort of understood that he was on the doorstep of, of being called up to the big leagues. And then he tears his ACL, just a brutal stroke of bad luck. He winds up, of course, rehabbing the rest of last season. Coming back this year at AAA, didn't really miss a beat. You know, he had a, a little slump in there, but for the most part, he has hit the ball very well. He's a reliable infielder who can play shortstop, second base. Asked him if he felt comfortable playing third base as well. That uh, versatility certainly helps him keep his roster spot, get a roster spot. Uh, also asked him about this uh, there was an ESPN article in 2017. David Schoenfeld, I believe, wrote it, and he projected the next next Hall of Famer for every big league franchise. And uh, some some picks were obvious, you know, like Mike Trout for the Angels, and a couple of them were were a little bit more ambitious, a little bit more of a reach. And he picked Mauricio Dubon for the Brewers, which was really fascinating. Uh, you know, at the time they didn't have Christian Yelich on their team, they didn't have Lorenzo Cain, so uh, they hadn't. Uh, not uh, not that either one of those guys necessarily is a shoe in for the Hall of Fame, but they didn't have a lot of obvious choices beyond maybe Ryan Braun, who uh, who of course is uh, his his candidacy is going to be clouded a little bit by the PED thing and also uh, just a lot of injuries that he's had late in his career probably is going to preclude him from having the numbers to be Hall of Fame uh, a Hall of Fame candidate. But uh, he thought, well, we'll give it a give a little shout out to this uh, this middle infielder in the minors that the Brewers acquired in the trade uh, a trade for Tyler Thornburg a couple years ago. Travis Shaw coming to Milwaukee in that trade, an absolute coup after Tyler Thornburg was released by the Red Sox uh, just this past week. He's really struggled with injuries and ineffectiveness, hasn't worked for him, and uh, the Brewers wind up getting four players in exchange for Thornburg, uh, two of whom now have seen the big leagues, so, uh, including Travis Shaw, who had back-to-back 30 home run seasons. So they do, uh, they do get credit for winning the trade, although uh, you know, Shaw's still working his way back now after a tough, tough stretch to this point. He is uh, Dubon's teammate at AAA in San Antonio. But we did get, to, uh, did get a chance to chat with Mauricio before he headed back down to AAA. Here's what he had to say. My guest is Brewers infielder Mauricio Dubon. He is newly arrived to the big league team, and uh, you've probably talked about this a lot, the uh, getting the call and just sort of the craziness of trying to get your family here. What was maybe the craziest part of that whole thing? I, I imagine trying to get a hold of people and getting them to Milwaukee was quite the feat. Yeah, I mean, it was... The hardest thing was just getting people to answer the phone. I mean, with my mom and brother, they never like it was. I was calling them, trying to trying to call them. Didn't want to call anybody else. Trying to let them know first. 
but they were not answering the phone calls and everything. And my girlfriend ended up getting a hold of them and just yeah. told my brother. And I mean, it was it was crazy that and then get be able to get in the flights. That was the most craziest thing. Right. So what did you do over your All Star break? Because now you you get one day of big league service and then you've got to wait four more days until the play. You know, get a chance to play game. What was that like? Uh, it was. I mean, it, when it happened, I was like, and they went home and they started realizing, okay, damn, I'm just playing the big leagues. Like it's it's something like not that people can say, especially from my country. Yeah. And I mean, getting those three days off was nice and be able to, you know settle back and sink everything to sink in and everything. Yeah. It was really good. So a lot written about you being the first guy born and raised in Honduras to make it to the big leagues. What is what is baseball like in Honduras? Does it have a presence there? Oh yeah, we're I mean that's the thing. Like we're good. We just don't have a lot of support. Sure. But it's it's pretty good. I mean there's there's good guys. I mean everything thank God somebody else find me and give me yeah. an opportunity. But uh, no we're pretty good. We're we're like just getting you know, getting grow up again. Hopefully with my situation a lot of more kids get more involved about it. Toughest part about assimilating, a lot of guys come from foreign countries and they just, it's hard culturally, socially, language wise, all of that. What was, how was that process for you? Was it easier for you than others maybe? Uh, I think yes, because I'm good at adapting to stuff. Right. My adaptability is pretty good. Like, just go, it's just like going to new school. Yeah. It's pretty much just going to new school and be able to, be able to be able to adapt and everything. I mean, so it, it was just like a normal thing for me. Sure. The ACL tear last year, everybody sort of assumed you were on the doorstep of being here. How did you feel about that? Did you feel like, I mean, did you have a backpack? Did they tell you you're going to be up here in a couple days before that injury? Or was that I mean, still? I, I, had a, I had a feeling that I was going to be up here a couple days. And yeah. then, I mean, think God put you, like, t- stuff happened for a reason. And God has a plan and everything. And then, think, like, it was a blessing in disguise. I mean, thank to that, I was able to grow as a player and as a person. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> this year was the best offensive years ever had yeah and be able because the ACL happened be able to have that now it's just like okay now it's I know what to do now yeah I grew up as a player I know adversity I know I know the struggles and everything so it's, it, it, it's a blessing you think going through the rehab maybe maybe gave you a mental edge you didn't have before yes. or like to, to just jump back is pretty notable offensively yeah no it was it was a mental that was a mental edge I, I knew I had but I didn't exploit it as much sure like it was now I can apply to every day and it, it was it was it was great being able to do the rehab yeah I mean unfortunately you never want to get hurt no, but, right, right. but it, it, it was it was something good for my mental health what was it like playing in the Boston system with some of those guys like Devers uh, Ben Attendee in the minor leagues those guys who came up and were part of a World Series last year did you I mean, I'm assuming you. I'm assuming you played quite a bit with those guys. I mean, it was fun. I was Devers roommate since we signed, so I yeah. mean, it was it was fun. It was crazy because my dad used to text me. You see what Devers did? I'm like, <laughs> I'm I'm not surprised. He used to do that when he was yeah. like minor leagues with me. Like it's not. But those guys are great. I mean, those guys are great teammates. Yeah. Great players, and what they did in the minors are doing in the big leagues right now. So yeah. I'm not surprised about that. How comfortable are you with the? Obviously, you can play second base or shortstop. How about third base? Are you pretty comfortable at all three oh, infield yeah. positions? Yeah, I mean it's, it's infield position. I played third base before. I'm pretty pretty comfortable about it. Yeah, I mean it's just it's a ground ball. It just comes to you fast. Sure, yeah. yeah. Last one. There was a, an article. I don't know if you saw it or not. In 2017, from ESPN, they picked the next Hall of Famer for every organization, and they said your name for the Brewers. It was you know one of those. They could take a minor league guy or a major league guy. Did you see that? What's and what, if you did? What was your reaction to that? Uh, I saw it, and then it, I mean, I was I was flattered by it. I mean, yeah, I know I'm a good player. I know. Um, I mean, if I if I continue to do the stuff that I do, I mean, I mean, just playing a good uh, big league career and everything, and yeah, I mean, hopefully you never know. So 
We'll see how it goes. That kind of sucks though to be in the minors and have that thrown at you. Like you're gonna tell you I'm supposed to be the next one. No, but it's tough. I love, like I said, I love the spotlight. I love, yeah, the, I love the pressure. I mean, they don't put pressure on bad players. So. Right. No, that's true. All right, sir. Thank you so much yeah. for your time. That'll do it for this edition of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Brewers podcast. Got an interview again with Brandon Woodruff next week talking about his all-star experience and uh, going back in time a little bit to uh, to the NLCS last year where he hit one of the more famous home runs in Brewers history at this point. Uh, also wanted to uh, chat with him about another home run he hit in the minor leagues that, quite honestly, might be a better story than the one he hit against Clayton Kershaw in the uh, in the first game of the NLCS. I know that's kind of hard to believe that a pitcher could have two home runs of of such crazy consequence, but uh, but we'll, uh, we'll save that conversation for next week. For Tom Hodricourt, my name is J.R. Radcliffe. You can find us on uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Feel free to leave us a rating and review. We haven't gotten many new reviews in a while, new ratings in a while, so uh, I'm happy if you guys want to spend the feedback, you know, just right now. You're probably sitting at your computer. Just go ahead. Open up iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever we're calling it, and uh, and uh, shoot us five stars. Five stars would be nice. If you feel if you feel I'm only four-star worthy, that's fine. But obviously, five stars would be nice. And uh, and uh, otherwise, let us know what you think. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe. That's J-R-R-A-D-C-L-I-F-F-E. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, again, hopefully there's better news this week as the Milwaukee Brewers welcome Atlanta to town. Then they head to Arizona for a, uh, for a four-game set before coming right back to Miller Park. Lots of home games, lots of opportunities to get out to the park and see the Milwaukee Brewers. Thanks for tuning in. We'll chat with you again next week. <laughs>